Hello, beautiful people. My new play, Sheila and Moby, opens October 27th at Flying V Theater, directed by Courtney Lane Self. When Sheila, a successful young businesswoman, returns to her hometown, she is immediately swept into a tale of intrigue, suspicion, and adventure involving a six-year-old neighbor girl's missing stuffed animal. Sheila reluctantly enlists the aid of her own childhood stuffed animal, an Iberian lynx named Moby, to solve the case. Sheila and Moby bears more than a striking resemblance to a comic strip you may love, one that ran from, say, 1985 to 1995 and was also about a six-year-old child and their stuffed feline. Maybe. Sheila and Moby, by me, Patrick Flynn, and directed by Courtney Lane Self, opening October 27th at Flying V Theater. Visit flyingvtheater.com for tickets and performance information. How did you get there from here, Mr. Shepard? What did you have to go through? and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. As you've heard, if you didn't skip the intro, Sheila and Moby opens this week at Flying V Theater. For tickets and performance information, visit flyingvtheater.com. Farrell Parker plays the dual roles of Lara and Curly in Sheila and Moby, and this week we flash way back to early 2017 and her episode discussing a chorus line. So enjoy, and come see Flying V Theater presents Sheila and Moby, opening October 27th. Flyingvtheater.com for tickets and performance information. Have you ever seen the Jessica Simpson Music in the Mirror, YouTube. No. It's a full nine minutes, and it's actually pretty good. Okay. So I think she she's like move. 15. She... Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So That's I'd pretty good. just watch it. Sure. If you have 10 minutes to watch Jessica I Simpson. I absolutely, no, I have 10 minutes to watch Jessica Simpson do Music in the Mirror, I think. Yeah. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn, playwright, filmmaker, and professor of communications at American University. And each episode we have someone who you'd see in the theater, either on stage, backstage, or in the house, to discuss an original cast album they love. And today we are joined by actress Farrell Parker. Hi. How are you? Good. How's it going? Good. Good. And yeah. you chose a what? chorus line. Five, six, seven, eight. Chorus line, right? I love it. Yes. Yes. Everyone in this room, 100% of the people in this room love a chorus line. Yeah, I love this show. I love this show so much. How did this show come into your into your life? Um, I, my mother had the cassette. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember a time where I didn't know a chorus line. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is deep. Yeah. I don't, I don't know like when I learned the songs, but I am sure that at a very early age, I was running around the house singing Tits and Ass. Tits and Ass. Bought myself a fancy pair. Tightened up the derriere. Did the nose with it. All that goes with it. Tits and Ass. Had the bingo bongos done. Suddenly I'm getting national tours. Tits and Ass won't get you jobs unless they're yours. 
as you would. It's, yeah. it's one of it's, the catchiest come songs on. in the whole thing. <laughs> Whether you know the words like mean or not, it's just right, it's exactly. absolutely wonderful. And who knew? I, it took me a long time to learn that the title was actually Dance 10 Looks 3. Right. And not Tits and Ass. Right. Well, that was the title. They changed it. Right. Because everybody was laughing in the before, playbill before yeah, the, joke. the joke. And it's such I heard a that. great joke. It, that, yeah. Yeah. And Dance 10 Looks 3 is actually a much better, I think, a much better title for that song. I think so, too. Because it's it is the problem. Yeah. It is her like her issue. Yeah, it states the problem and not the solution. Right. In the song, <laughs> which is which is good to remember. You could also call it orchestra and balcony. I guess. Um, That's cute. It is good to remember. Yes, that is good. That is good structure. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> learning this is, so much already. This is a really well written show. So for people who don't know, I think I mean it is a very famous show, but I don't know how many people know the story. Such as it is, could you give right. a could you give a crack at the at the or at least the conceit? Yeah, the conceit. Yeah. I mean, I think the show opens at a Broadway audition, mm-hmm. a dance call, um, and they quickly whittle down. I think to seventeen. I think the number is like something 17. like that. Yeah. Um, and then everyone sings, "God, I hope you get it." Um, and then you're left with the the choreographer and the assistant choreographer weeding through. The rest of these actors, dancers, mm-hmm. Broadway performers, um, and one sticks out who's Cassie, right. who's had a relationship with the choreographer, right? right? Went mm-hmm. to L.A. to try to be a star, right? wasn't hacking it, and came back because she needs a job. Um, mm-hmm. So she's like the most, that's like the most story I think we get that actually happens in the show. Yeah. Because most of the, a lot of it is anecdotal. Mm-hmm. That's a from, good point. From the people auditioning. So so there's a moment alone with Cassie and Zach, and then we sort of get back to the rest of these people's stories mm-hmm. as they go through this audition interview process. Yeah, because it's not it's not realistic in that sense. Like that that's not something that generally happens where the director choreographer would interview each member of the of, no. the, of the the dance line individually but I, to I pick think part of the, the reason why one. it reaches so far is because that is like kind of what you would want. Right. Like that that's like maybe ideal if you're going into audition situation. Like oh really? Maybe I'll so? get to share oh, something. everything I have. Not just these five minutes right, exactly. right, that I've got. So it's and... satisfying in that. Oh, okay. I like <laughs> to that. To me at least. That's a nice theory. I like that. Yeah, it's it is a pretty plotless show. Right. Um it is just the in the I think that's that's very astute what you said that there is that moment of plot because Zach and Cassie have a relationship and He's sort of like, what are you doing here at this open call? Right. Um, and she says, I need to dance. Like, I'm not a star. I'm a dancer. I can't act, which is a hilarious monologue. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so this is the, it is just these series of vignettes and then songs. Some of them are monologues. Some of them are songs. Yeah. Some of them are scenes into songs. And they all get to do their bit. And they all know each other. I mean, it's a really, like, the characters at least know of each other. They're, yeah. They're not, they're not friends necessarily, but they've seen each other at all these auditions. Yeah, well, as you do. It's mm-hmm. a smaller world. It gives think, you a sense of that yeah. yeah, world. And it's all based on the sworn testimony of the original cast, on pretty much. On real interviews. Yeah, yeah. that right. they got together and did these. Michael Bennett organized these uh, interviews with all the cast and then controversially didn't pay anybody for it, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was the 70s, <laughs> I guess. Um, well, we won't get into that. That's all documented in a great book called... Um, what they did for love, which is an excellent book. About. Should I read it? I, if you like this show, I would read it. And then I you actually, saw a documentary, right? What did you see? Every little step. Okay. So I actually don't love the show. Oh, ooh, interesting. I, Fun. I love this. I love the soundtrack, uh-huh. and I think it is an iconic show. Okay, but you don't love the show. I don't want to see it. 
Really? I saw the Broadway revival. Okay. I saw... Did you see Mario Lopez? Ah. Uh, he was a replacement somewhere later. In the I don't movie. remember. Uh-huh. I don't remember. I feel like I did. Okay. I feel like I did. And I saw the only production. Okay. Um, and I saw Marvin Hamlish in like an, a living room Harvard Club concert. I'm sure that was understated and not pretentious at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just like... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you saw him performing the show, right? You didn't just, like, just wasn't just sitting there. Like, no, he was play. He didn't perform the show, but he oh, performed he like some from numbers from the show, and mm-hmm. like so it was that was part of it. All that's part of my chorus line experience. Got gotcha. you. Um, and I don't think like anyone ever needs to do this show. Really? Yeah. Why not? That's interesting. Because because especially with I don't know I haven't I didn't look into this, but the way it's licensed, uh huh, like you have to use. Yeah, the original choreography. The and do true. you have to use the costumes? No. Okay. No. You, there are, well, there are restrictions. There are, okay, so the way it usually works for people who don't know is that there is this phrase in theater that if it's not, if it's on the page, it's on the stage. And so there are certain comments that like, this show has an above average number of restrictions it puts okay. on you yeah. in terms of characters having to be dressed, I think, a certain way. And the set has to look a certain way, and you have to use Michael Bennett's original choreography, which is unusual, very unusual. Although for Fiddler, we had to use the original choreography. There are some so shows like are, that. I, and I, I think West Side Story, that. I think you have to do some of Jerome. Maybe not all of it, or you have to opt it's out It's the same for Fiddler. Like, we had to do, like, you have to do certain things. Yeah, certain things are iconic yeah. to the right. show and, right. and considered to be part of the work. Yeah, so it is a, it is an odd... And so it seems, and I, I think, like... I'm not saying it should never be done and people shouldn't ever see it. It's just not the theater that I'm interested in. Sure. And it's, it's to, because of those restrictions, it's so museum PC. Yes. Which is sort of like, ooh, for me, for theater. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. But I'm, that, obs- that's really I'm kind of obsessed with it also. Okay. It's always in my mind. I'm constantly making references. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly watching it's videos. It's very referential. Of it. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, yeah, it's absolutely. iconic. I mean, absolutely. it's totally iconic. Yeah. Um, and I took. My mom and all her sisters, who they all saw it in 1975 oh, on wow. Broadway, individually with their father. And so I took all of them and my grandfather to the revival. And they all, like, wept. Oh, sure. So that was really satisfying oh, for good. me. <laughs> Making your whole family cry. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's good. Sharing that experience with them was satisfying. But, like, the show. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I saw this when Catholic U did it, which was 15 years ago at this point. And I think it's a really good college show. That sounds, yeah, yeah. Because it's, that's the right level of hungry, right. I think. Like there is a certain, not only a museum piece, but a sense of self-awareness this show, a show like this develops over time because everybody yeah. knows it. Like everybody fame knows the too gimmick. has a similar. Exactly right. Yeah, where it's. it's Legend, I guess. Yeah, and yeah. you f- it doesn't feel, it can feel, well, like you say, museum piece are caged, like trapped yeah. almost in its own, in itself. Um and a college student, I think, has the ability with a lot of material to kind of like to break that. Yeah. Just in their in your own when you're in college, that own yeah. naivete and that energy you have, that hunger, if, especially for a show like this, just absolutely snaps in. You're like, oh, okay, like this is right to bring that. Yeah, yeah, to bring something other, I guess. Yeah. To it. Yeah. Yeah, to take it to that next level when you have all those restrictions yeah. on top of it. Right. Yeah, that's funny that you. I've never <laughs> encountered that before. I've encountered people in the show who have. Love the album. Have never seen the show, but you've seen the show twice, yeah. and and you feel kind of. Eh. Yeah. I I think that's well, and that's interesting. Tying it also to Chicago, which as we say came out the same year, 
and was revived, you know, was not as successful as Course Line its first time out. Course sure. Line ran for 6,000 performances. It was, it was for a long time the longest running it's show in sixth. Broadway history. It is the sixth now, yes. Behind, hang on, Les Mis, Cats, The Lion King, Chicago, and Phantom of the Opera. See Three of those are still running. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's really funny. Um, and, you know, the original Chicago ran for 900 performances, still a powerhouse of a, of a show. But then, obviously, the revival of Chicago is still running, and right. the revival of Chorus Line ran for, I think, 700-some performances, which is nothing to sneeze at, but it's that kind of inverse of those experiences. Right. Chicago has this timeless kind of attachment to it that I think Chorus Line doesn't necessarily have, at least not for a general audience. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I also think a lot of people know the music of Chicago mm-hmm. and don't know the Don't know show. the show. Mm-hmm. Or you saw the movie. Yeah. And you, the I show is so different, I think. Mm-hmm. Or at least that was my experience. It is very different. Yeah. They're very, very differently done. And not the same choreography at all, of course, because on Broadway you're seeing Fosse's choreography. Right. And in the movie it's Rob Marshall's right. choreography. Right. Yeah, so it is different. But there is a Chorus Line movie. There is a Chorus Line movie. Which I've never seen. Did you see it? No, I've watched the trailer. Me too. They'd come here by the hundreds with a dream. I used to stand outside the stage door and watch the girls come out and think, can anything like that ever happen to me? But only eight can make it come true. I can't do it. You want the job, don't you? It's the chance of a lifetime. Okay, Larry, line them up. And five, six, seven, eight. A chorus line. First time we made love, it was a grave. It's the line between determination. I don't need a handout. I need a job. I don't think she's been working too much. And frustration. Don't dance! And I couldn't bring myself to it. It's apparently terrible. I heard it was bad. Yeah. yeah. And it's directed by Richard Attenborough. He of, I mean, the actor, obviously, but also he Academy Award winning director of Gandhi and like directed Shadowlands, which is a great film. But it's, 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 he's, he's an odd choice. Um, there are some great actors in it, among them Terrence yeah. Mann, favorite of this podcast. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a, on one level, I think it, it lends itself really naturally to a movie. Because yeah, it is just these inter- sort of style. exactly, but that's what yeah. it would need to be. It right. would need to be this sort of just handheld. Maybe some of the flashbacks we see, kind of cut scenes from, but it would have to be that kind of stylized, really stripped down, like the show is really stripped yeah. down. It's not that, and when the you movie's watch the very glitzy, flashy. very glamour, widescreen kind but of. But I kind musical. of love it. I I also like. I'm not a dancer, but mm-hmm. I started. In ballet, like that was the, my as a child, that was the first like, up the sort steep of and very narrow start. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, oh, yeah. with the pianist, like the yeah. pianist, the Russian teachers, all of it. All right. But I'm like, it's never. I'm not a dancer anymore at all. Okay. And so, none of these shows are shows I would ever be in. Mm-hmm. But I love the like dance ness of it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's something about the dance world that's like so intense and and different from. The non-dance part of theater. Sure. But like, I love just a dance movie, you know. I want to watch any dance movie. Sure. So. Xanadu? I haven't seen, I haven't watched Xanadu. I saw it on, I saw the Broadway show, but I. Oh, did you? Yeah, but I never saw it. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a horrifyingly bad movie. It was so much fun. I forget a lot of the shows I've seen because I grew up 12 miles outside of New York City. Oh. So sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, I saw that. Oh, oh, Broadway show. Wow. Until I like go through all the playbills, I don't remember like Really? <laughs> yeah, I also have a terrible memory. So oh, okay. I was gonna say I don't forget I don't think I forget <laughs> I any really show I've ever memory. seen ever. Uh you have a bad memory and you're an actor? I am okay, I'm great at lines. Uh-huh. I don't forget my lines. Mm-hmm. 
but I forget the ends of stories. Like I have, a, I have an uncanny knack to forgetting the end of a story. It's amazing. Wow. I can read the same novel and over and over and over again. Because I, I take how a break and I forget the ending. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is a blessing. It's really on one wild. Level. Yeah. That's amazing. It's probably a coping mechanism from like early childhood trauma, but. <laughs> well, that's not what we're not going to get into that. But I like the, <laughs> I like the general, I like yeah. the general principle that you can just sort of like, you know, dory it up. And I mean, not, not everything, but. Right. Many things. Many things. <laughs> like you ever my dated boyfriend... the same person over and over again because no, but... you forgot how it ended? That's amazing. 51st <laughs> dates. But my boyfriend is constantly quoting shows and movies, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't remember if I saw that. And he just, like, has has memorized all the lines the second time he sees the Office episode. Mm-hmm. I'm like, have I ever watched The Office? Like, I have. I've watched it all. Probably twice. <laughs> have I ever seen this ever? Yeah, but... You're in this. What are you talking about? <laughs> right. That, mm. Oh, look at that. Is that a... Your house have... of cards. I'm like, oh. So if you remember... Lines really well, though. Do you remember them forever, or do they last for the run of the show and then they're gone? I think I have never tried. Mm-hmm. I mean, we sort of did it with you or whatever I can get mm-hmm. revisiting. Um, I bet they're in there forever. Somewhere. Yeah. Deep in the lizard brain. Yeah. yeah. And I'm very fast with song lyrics. Oh, okay. So, like, yeah, but story. Anything That's long interesting. Or, no. Anything long chunk or you just And I'm can't... actually really uptight about line learning. Oh. Like with other people. Oh, because they don't memorize as fast as right. you do? You looking at me? Not you. I don't know how you memorize lines. I have no idea. Right. But I'm in Shakespeare school now, so. Right. Oh, yeah. So you have to be very proper. All the lines. Oh, yes. And they have to be right. They have they to be right. cannot be paraphrased. Yes. you got to be, you know, in iambic, whatever it's called. Right. Just getting a master's. And you're not finished yet. You don't know the second half of the <laughs> Yeah, the I iambic. only learned iambic. They, we didn't go over pentameter haven't told yet. you the second part yet. <laughs> That's I, that's really funny. That I, I get totally what you're saying about the otherworldness of dance, yeah. and that's really what this show is about. I mean, this yeah. is for the first time bringing the chorus literally to the front right. of the stage, and have it, I know Bennett said his goal for the show was to end it with a kick line that wouldn't get applause, which I don't think happens anymore. No. It probably did happen once or twice in the original run when the show wasn't known. That yeah. he really wanted to give the audience have such an emotional connection to all the people on stage that they. Because kick lines just inspire applause. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why. Do you know why? Unison. Unison movement? Is that what it is? Yeah. It's like, it, I think it's if you have people, I have no idea. I'm right. thinking out loud. Sure. Dis, in disparate spots sure. on stage, all of whom are equally talented, and then you get them into like this unified, I don't know, hmm. movement. I honestly don't it's know. It's always kind of thrown me. When I've seen a show that you know, no matter what's happening, if you play that music and everybody breaks into a kick line, the audience just bursts into applause. Like it's a Pavlovian response. Like they don't even really know that they're applauding. I think we need to do some more research on do this. Do we need to figure this out? We'll get some funding. Yeah, in like study. I think we, yeah. Because like, you know, I've seen the Rockettes. Right. And that's, I, well, that maybe we're just conditioned. Yeah, I think it is. But that's the thing. I think we are just conditioned to applaud at a kick line, and I don't know what it is about a kick that's so line. Weird. I think I'm. I do think you're right, at least partially. The unison movement. Yeah. Spun like that kind of exuberant movement is something, but I don't know what it is about a kick line that makes everybody just burst into. And not even like exuberant applause. People really just if you ever watch people clap during a kick line, they just start clapping like they don't even know that they're doing it. And I don't. I'm. I'm sure that the. the the root of that dance move is from some other country, but it feels very American. Oh, yes. Oh, it's very George M. Cohen. No. And yeah, yeah. Yankee Doodle Dandy yeah, type vibe exactly. to it. Oh, yeah. It's, maybe Absolutely. that's why people are playing, just so American. Just very American. Sometimes yes. we With do that. Sometimes we, we do lines. that. Okay, but I, why were they 
supposed to not applaud? Well, that was his goal. Okay. It was just to have the audience be so emotionally invested in each person individually oh. that the kick line would not have that effect. I like that. It's a really interesting choice because he said we're going to end with a kick line to somebody at some point. And I want, he's like, he, I don't, I, I'm paraphrasing this book that I haven't read recently, but he says that he's going to end it on a kick line and he wants it to end kind of down. No, but to me, it always felt sad that they did that. And, yeah. and I don't feel that the audience ever receives that in the productions that I've seen. But to me, I did. I always felt sad, like, that they were in this, like, they put on all the same costume and right. go into and this. and they disappear. I mean, they And now I'm feeling validated in, in my emotional response the first time ever. <laughs> there and you now go. maybe I like the show. There it is. There, you're all set. But it was edgy. I know it was very edgy oh, when very it came much out. So, and, yeah. and yeah, my mom and her sisters were like very, they were. All, all in. Well, it was plotless. I mean, it had the biggest star in it was Donna McKechnie, right. who played Cassie, who was a star in the theater world, but was not a star in, in the right. sort of theater, like yeah. not a name who was going to, you build a show around. Right. Michael right. Bennett was a big choreographer and director, but that's not going to bring him in by the thousands, you know. And, you know, it had no set. It had, they wore their own clothes, you know, not that they were then turned into costumes, but right. they're based on their own clothes. And, it's very abstract and kind of like at the beginning, especially with the one character just saying all his lines from the back of the house. It's kind of Brechtian and and sort of yeah. And They're doing it, a lot of different stuff for yeah. Then yeah. right, and it did win a Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. I mean, and it I is, don't think yeah. it doesn't deserve it. I right, just you just don't don't want to see it. <laughs> well, I, that's funny because <laughs> because you would we we tend to think of things like that that are that successful and that lauded as being objectively great, but. I do think that the only true measurement for a piece of art's quality is how it exists over time. Yeah. And this show has morphed over time into, like you say, iconic. But iconic does also mean dead, Stop, you know, stopped. Yeah. It's a symbol. It's, I, it is, yeah. is frozen there in time. And this show is iconic in that kind of way, though, in that sort of distance way. where the, I I, th- I really think that's the thing you said is perfect, that it's a museum piece. It is go- You go there and you go, oh, this is great. When are we having lunch? Like, right. it, is, it just has that slight emotional distance to it, which might be because neither of us are dancers. I don't know if it's different if you're a dancer, that you may have a much more personal connection to it. Maybe, but I don't think... I think if it was just a show for dancers, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have run, run for forever. so many performances. That's very true. Um, I do think there's something about, like, the popularity of dance movies and stuff that, I, and similar to sports movies, it's mm-hmm. like the struggle that people love. And there's underdog stories left and right sure. in a chorus line. So, but, yeah, maybe. I, I also, if we really start talking about it, I'll probably say, like, let's only do new musicals. <laughs> But, oh sure! Oh, that I totally get. No, that I I'm I'm a hundred percent. Just because like there. we did that, right? Now we're go- unless you're going to do it. Stuff. Unless there's a reason to revive it. I just realized in the current political climate, has occurred to me we revived Cabaret too early. So when you first saw the show, the first one you saw was on Broadway, or the first one was Olney. The first one I saw was the Broadway revival. Was the Broadway revival? And did you know any of the script before you saw it? Or did I, you go I in pretty only cold? knew the soundtrack. Okay, so when if you only knew the cast album. What what was that experience like that to see it kind of happen in front of you? I think that I was disappointed. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember anything about what? Well, um, it was very glitzy. Okay. And the idea, I think your idea of it, mm-hmm. or my idea of it, was more like 
that original record and very like obviously it wasn't in a black box but again like they're in their own clothes like mm-hmm. and then when you sort of know what that looks like when you like amp it up and it felt like technicolor chorus line mm-hmm. and they had done that with the orchestrations like that that made a difference in what they changed in the orchestrations um i hate it when they do that i'm interested in it i i don't hate it i mean they did it with um secret garden they did it with oliver at arena yeah. it's interesting i mean well, I don't care what you do to Oliver. You're not going to get me to like it. But well, the yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was listening to the Broadway Sirius station the other day, and Consider Yourself came on. I almost drove the car off the road. The uh, God song <laughs> crawls up my back. The but I don't. It's funny that you talk about the. I was wondering about the orchestrations because this is a very '70s orchestrated oh, show. Oh yeah, yeah, with yeah. The, with There's the just wa- certain instruments that aren't in it. That yeah, we don't are not. In vogue, you know, that right. you hear in like company and right. and chorus line that you just aren't going to hear in a and contemporary. It, and it's recording. so I don't I don't really I mean part of me understands why you take those things out because you go oh that that dates it That's to dated. a very specific period. But at the same time, that's when the show was written. I mean, that's what – and if and if something is timeless – I used to work for at the music library at Catholic U, and Maurice Saylor, my boss, used to always say, if something's timeless, it's timeless. So it doesn't matter. You don't have to remove right. single aspects of it. It is timeless or it isn't. Yeah. And I think company specifically is timeless. And I, I it really – like the new orchestrations kind of bug me because they feel very flat, whereas the originals feel very, very specific to that mm, show. Yeah. Well, the recording too, the new recording is like, well, very 2000s, right? Very clean. Again, step, kick, kick, leap, kick, touch. 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 Right. And yeah. I think that was what I was disappointed in about the show is that it was very clean. But yeah. everything I feel like that I was seeing around that time on Broadway was very clean. Everything's pretty clean. Yeah. I have to say. I know. It, it, it's it's a Broadway. In it's general. Broadway. Right. I it know. is that sheen on it. And anytime you see something that has I don't want to it's not dirty, it's just a a slightly less packaged feel. Yeah. It it feels so wonderful. Well, it feels artificial. I mean, it, when it's like that it does feel artificial. Mm-hmm. Like that. Especially revivals. I think revivals live under that onus of being like, because they're trying to, they want to evoke the original. They want you to remember that thing you loved. And so they are kind of pushing on that. That's what I'm, yeah, but that's the problem. If you do that too much, you know, you can do callbacks to things and still kind of like get gritty with it, I think. And it's be kind of loose and that's what we go to. Not with all that money. Yeah, it's a lot of money. That is a ton of money. It's, a, ri- it's a huge, I mean, Broadway's a huge risk. We're going to keep talking about Chorus Line uh, a little bit, but first, Farrell, will you follow me to the green room? Sure. Let's go. I got a message here from Suzanne Edgar, who wants you to know about Restoration Stage's production of The Very Last Days of the First Colored Circus by Stephen A. Butler, presented February 15th through March 5th at the Anacostia Playhouse in Washington, D.C. You can purchase your tickets at restorationstage.com. 
You may have noticed I've done away with the five-second rule. That's it. Just go. If you want to get a message on The Green Room, just go to iTunes, give us a five-star review, and then send me your message. Keep it. Try to keep it to about 100 words if you can, but I'm, I'm doing away with the five-second uh, limit as a lot of people seem to be getting hung up on it and having trouble writing uh, their, their messages. I've gotten a few emails about that, so... Let's just make it simple. You go to iTunes, give the original cast five stars, write a review, and send me uh, an email at originalcastpod at gmail.com with your iTunes username so that I can verify you did it, and you can get a message on this show. You can send a message to someone. You can plug your show. You can plug your Twitter account. You can just you can plug something. Peanut butter. You into peanut butter? I am. I love peanut butter. So does my son. Why am I talking about peanut butter? This Saturday, February 18th, is the 13th annual Bethesda Play in a Day, and I'm very happy to be once again writing and directing for Adventure Theater MTC. Six professional DC area theater companies will write, direct, rehearse, and perform a 10-minute play on similar themes within 24 hours. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We all have a really good time. Performances are uh, Saturday, as I say, 8 p.m. at Imagination Stage. I should note these are not children's plays, even though... It's being held at a children's theater, and I am representing Adventure Theater as a children's theater. These are not children's plays, but we have a really great time. The audience always uh, really enjoys it. These plays are created very quickly, uh, and like I say, on similar themes, so it's interesting to see what everybody does with those themes. Other theater companies involved include Imagination Stage, Flying V, and Keegan Theater. So come on out, see what we're doing. I know a past guest of the podcast, Amanda Zeitler, is writing for Imagination Stage. I am, as I say, writing and directing for Adventure Theater, so come on out. If you want some tickets, go to Bethesda. Bethesda.org for more information. Bethesda playing today, Saturday, February 18th, 8 p.m. at Imagination Stage in Bethesda. The original cast this week is brought to you by Flying V Theater's production of Brother Mario by Seamus Sullivan. What happens when you cross Anton Chekhov with Koopa Troopas, Fire Flowers, and Mustaches? The answer is Flying V Theater's latest production, Brother Mario. In this existential exploration of the Super Mario Brothers, Mario begins to wonder if there's more to life than jumping, go-karts, and princesses in other castles. Performances begin February 23rd, so reserve your ticket at flyingv.brownpapertickets.com. Listeners to this podcast can get $5 off their tickets by going to brownpaperbagtickets.com and entering the promo code podcast. So again, Flying V Theater's production of Brother Mario. Performances begin February 23rd. Reserve your ticket at flyingv.brownpapertickets.com and enter promo code podcast all right back to the show so you're getting a you're getting an mfa in is it classical it's acting? classical acting okay yeah. um what do they want to know so my dad teaches creativity at montclair state university okay it's developing creativity curriculum okay essentially. sure um so we sort of talk about he talks a lot about thinking outside the box and they i guess they're they're always wondering like how do you know if you're successful like, how oh, do you know geez. if what you're doing is working? And... That's the question, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The answer is you don't. You never, ever know. All right? Is that the answer? Maybe. Not in a long-term way. I mean, like, I think you know yeah. in bursts, but... I'm What I'm learning a lot in this program is to work very sensation-based and hmm. just be, like, hyper-aware of... And without, like, you know, people talk about getting in your head. Right. They're, like, getting in your head, but uh, about, like the energy that you're putting in and what's coming back at you and there's like feedback from the audience and your scene partner and and being in all of that and charging Mm -hmm. all of that space so that's sort of what I'm working in which is very like seems a little new agey and like (laughs) I'm very into my chakras and stuff right yeah I mean it's it, it is a weird it is a weird world we inhabit and it is and it's it's hard to get a handle on. But that, that's funny that you say, like, what – if the question is how do you judge success or how do you know you've been successful, that is such – I mean, this 
that's what this a chorus line is about in so right. many ways. It's yeah. like what is because that's Cassie's like whole thing. She's very what do I want? Yeah. She, and she knows <laughs> she's kind of the only person who has a good answer to that question. She knows right. who she is, and she knows what she wants. And the problem she has is that she's in a profession that only recognizes forward momentum. Because like once you've gone mm. out of the chorus and become a featured person, you cannot recede. You can't go backwards. I mean, you can, but it's really but it's difficult. it's weird, yeah. Yeah. And once you're out and out front, that's where you live forever, and that's where people see you. And it is – there is a – the great thing this show has is showing that there is a real double-edged sword to that because all these people – ideally would like to be doing their own show. I mean, that's what all 17 of those chorus people won. Is right. To, they, they all got into this to be to be the lead in the show. That's why Right. No one necessarily it. goes into it to be the a, a chorus member forever. Right. Which is a little unfortunate but, because that's the best job, I think, I, I, in this whole business. I also think that the show starts with them like, God, I hope I get this job. Like, yeah. I just need a job and ends with love. With what I did for love, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it doesn't end with love, but that's like a really nice. No, that is kind of the. Cl- I mean, it's not the climax, but that is the sort of emotional climax. Because yeah. one, as you say, is 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 not a happy. Right. Like a it it, ta- it it shows you the end result, but it's more of an epilogue. Like yeah. what I did for love exactly. is the is yeah. the kind of the finish to the whole yeah. the whole thing, and that is an odd sentiment, I have to say. I I never quite understood. And having seen, I and I was I think fortunate enough to see the show before I heard the album. Because obviously I knew of it, and I knew a couple songs from it, but I had never sat down and listened to the whole thing. I saw it at Catholic when I was, uh, I think I was a senior in college. Mm -hmm. And then I went out and got the album. And I think that's that's a great way to see a show, is if you can sort of see where the songs fit in the show. And I was really kind of, like in the moment of watching the show, that finale made sense. And then listening to it later, I kept thinking, how did we get to- Because you're like, that's a nice song. It is. It's a beautiful <laughs> song. A nice I mean, song. what I did for love is a yeah. gorgeous, gorgeous song. But it does. It's so. It's different from every other song in the show. Kiss today goodbye and point me toward tomorrow. We did what we had. Obviously fits in the moment, but I can't. I couldn't quite tell you but why. But yeah, it's like a more poetic. It's it's probably the most poetic moment in mm-hmm. the show, aside from maybe Cassie's choreography. Right. Aside from the actual During music in the yeah, mirror. Yeah. yeah. Aside from that choreography, I think like the musical poetry is in what I did for is love. In what I did for love. Yeah. yeah. That's probably. It's certainly. It's also the only group number where they're actually as individuals singing together. Yeah. Like. Yeah, the opening they are singing. It's in their heads, so and you don't know them yet. Also, right. so. exactly right. Yeah, and there's also like 40 of them on stage. I mean, when it kicks, and then they get cut and they yeah. get moved away, and then it drops to 17. Which, how would you have liked to have been in that? <laughs> in one of well, those. Well, what people? you were saying before, like I love being names. in the ensemble. The, yeah. Being in the ensemble is great. I really do love it. Mm-hmm. I say that, and people often think that I'm like not serious, but right. I've been in. Like Helen Hayes ensemble nominated casts mm-hmm. like four times, and I'm like, yes, that's yes. the best. Yeah, it feels great. But yeah, they do. Like, that's expensive. That's a lot of actors to hire. Yeah. 
Um, and also, I think originally they had wanted to like decide who was making the final cut, like like sheer madness style. <laughs> right, like in the show. Yeah. yeah, that's the the thing I I I researched after I saw the show. The same eight dancers are picked every show. Right. And I kind of think that's sad. I really think it should be different. The the 17 come out and then it should they do the whole show and then he should pick eight different people every night because I think I don't know why. I just feel like the show should be alive in that way where it's not I don't know if that's too gimmicky because it feels like when it's set in stone that the the show is then picking winners and losers in a very real way of being like, these are the eight best characters in this show. And like Cassie's in there and you want Cassie, you're rooting for Cassie. Although not originally written that way. No, not originally written that way. And and of course, um, oh, what's her name? It's played by Kelly Bishop. Uh, Sheila doesn't get picked. And I know that's, that's kind of, I feel like the oh, show's yeah. making a statement about that too, that she's like, that's what I mean. Like, it feels like I'm suddenly this show that has all these like abstract. I almost wish I didn't know. I almost wish the show ended like and the final eight dancers are and blackout. And then they're all 17 of them do one. But they all do one. They all do. They? That's the other thing that makes it confusing is all 17 of them do one. So you're not even seeing those eight do one. Well, it's almost like they copped out a little. That's what I mean. Yeah. It yeah. kind of ends in yeah. this bizarre. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Endings are hard. Like I'm oh, not. Yeah. <laughs> endings oh, yeah. are super hard to write, and it's it's really hard to know. I think, I think usually what happens is you have an ending in mind. It certainly happened with this show, and then you write the show and go, "Oh, this ending doesn't exactly work." Like I need something like this, but I, I need to probably tweak this and change it. And I feel like this show has such an org because it, it doesn't even begin at the beginning. It begins in Medius Race. It starts. Right towards the end of the dance call with all these people on stage. So I kind of feel like it should just stop when it stops. And we never know. I like the fact that we get to see uh, Paul injure himself. Mm, yeah. I, I think yeah. that's important to yeah. show somebody, like because that's what they're all afraid of. And right. that does really... Yeah, it's real. It's a real yeah. moment in that show that he hurts himself and you're just like, they're, they're all an injury away from it. unemployment. <laughs> yeah. So I like that. That that's a really organic like to get rid of that character, but you can't. Yeah, you know, there's only so many ways. How many to rolled angles can you have on? The, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a funny, it's such an oddly constructed show, and it's it's kind of a it's a group of people. It was not written by like a team of creative people. I mean, if they Michael Bennett had these interviews that conducted with most of the cast. Some of the people who did the interviews did not end up in the final cast list. A bunch of them went over and did Chicago actually. Right. Um, and then Marvin Hamlish was hired to be the composer. James Kirkwood and Nicholas Dante were brought in to turn these interviews into some kind of script. And Edward Kleban, who was brought in as a lyricist, even though he was also a composer. So it's a kind of an odd, it's an odd creative group who never worked together again, even though, as I say, they won all the Tonys and right. Pulitzer Prize. And it has that feeling to it. Like you said, that sort of hodgepodge patchwork feeling, which is great yeah. up until you have to draw it all together yeah. and get us out the door. And the, the beginning's so strong, I think. Yeah. Like. That's like the opening of All That Jazz. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie All That Jazz. They I open, have. I don't it's remember. It's the same way. It opens okay. at a dance call. I, love, I remember loving it. Yeah. Oh, it's but, it's you know, one of my all-time I, favorite movies. I don't remember If you like dancers, you'll, stories, like, you'll love All so. That Jazz. That's fine. Hey, it, that doesn't really have much of a story either. No, I guess not. A lot of dancing, though. So much dancing. Oh, I love dancing. And yeah, it's just it's that problem of this show is working at its absolute best when it is in its most 
abstract. Like you say, music in the mirror is an incredible moment. And it is this sort of, like everybody's kicked off the stage and he's going to talk to Cassie. And we're supposed to believe they've kind of stopped existing. Like they they haven't, like they're not standing in the wings going, what is he saying? What are they saying? Well, you know mm, what I mean? Yeah. So, but we're going to believe. hopefully you don't think about that. Well, right. Because they go, and then she does this enough. dance to what music? I mean, I don't know. It's kind of, you know what I mean? And, and like, it's a very magical, hyper real moment. And that's when I'm like most invested in the show. So when you bring it down to reality, it kind of yeah. suffers for me a tiny bit. Yeah. Not a lot, just just a little. And certainly not on first blush. I mean when I saw it, I was I was obviously like, This is great. This is really well written, well put together show and and very well done. So it's only when you dig into it and yeah. I wonder if those are the things that keep it from that like you say, that timeless thing, that thing that keeps it alive where it doesn't have quite the, yeah. the finish that we want from it. What's your favorite song? Oh, that's a great question. At the ballet. Mm. That's really good. Yeah. Everything was beautiful at the ballet. Graceful men lift lovely girls in white. Yes, everything was beautiful at the ballet I was happy at the ballet That's when I started class Up a steep and very narrow stairway To the voice like a metronome Up a steep and very narrow stairway It wasn't paradise It wasn't paradise It wasn't paradise But it was home. That's a really good song. I like that one. I don't think there's a bad song in the show. This is one of the few shows where I, I don't think there's a single song on here that I skip. No, I was going to say, I don't think I skip any. It is a, which is a, it's, I mean, there's not many I mean, songs. there's not that many, yeah. Yeah. I don't so well love written. I Can Do That. Oh, really? One morning sis won't go to dance class. I grab her shoes and tights and all. But my foot's too small, so I stuff her shoes with extra socks. Run seven blocks and nothing flat. Hell, I can do that. I can do that. Oh, I like that song a lot. That's I mean, a fun song. I don't know. Yeah. If I had to. If you had to, if we have to kill one. But I, I yeah, I love at the ballet. Oh, it's a great song. Plus, I like I do connect as a child having gone to ballet to the ballet. To New Jersey mm-hmm. Ballet Company, you know, three times a week. I think like, I can yeah. do that. Might be the only. I'm looking real fast. So, Dance Ten looks three, and I can do that. Dance I think are the only happy songs in this show. And is the, Dance Ten looks three even really happy? She's super happy. Dance Ten looks three is like to die. Left the theater and called the doctor for my appointment to buy teeth and ass. Bought myself a fancy pair. Tightened up the derriere. Hit the nose with it. All that goes with it. Tits and ass. Had the bingo bungos done. Suddenly I'm getting national tours. Tits and ass won't get you jobs unless they. Depends on your opinion of what she did. Right. But she is 
thrilled she's like, Everyone with this. her life. And she's just absolutely, yeah, she's fine. I mean, I guess also um, nothing, I think on balance is a happy song. It ends with her saying, you know. And a voice from down at the bottom of my soul came up to the top of my head. And a voice from down at the bottom of my soul. Here is what it said. This man is nothing. And she's and she does well. That's the thing. It ends on that very damn note. Six months later, I heard that Carp had died, and I dug right down to the bottom of my soul and cried, cause I felt nothing. But it is like she wins. Yes, you know? she comes out of it. These are, I mean, most of them are like stories about and the how montage they win. is pretty popular. Yeah, how these people like win, you know, or yeah, get they overcome. Where they are. Yeah, that's true. How they use what they have to get through. But yeah, the 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 stuff these people go through, or I mean, Sheila's story is super sad. Yeah, I think yeah. her childhood is anyway. Um, yeah, it's very. It is. It's a show about. I guess struggle would be the sort of common thread that's running through all of this. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. It's kind of, it's amazing this show ran for ever and ever and ever and ever, I think. And so many productions. Yeah. Too, that have been done all over. All over the world, yeah. yeah. And it toured forever and ever and people yeah. just, it was an absolute phenomenon, which for a show with no plot. I know. About something super specific. I know. That is on balance pretty sad. Yeah. Just. I don't know. Just ran, just ran its way through. The country. So who do you identify with the most in the show, do you think? Or is there anybody? Because it's interesting to me that if you had this show sort of from birth. Yeah. And it's just a part of your brain. Was it just, what does that do to the show for you? Is it just sort of in there and you don't have a direct connection with any of the characters or is it? I think that's kind of right. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> You can tell by all the plastic surgery I've had that I obviously identify with Val the most. I do, but I do like that song is so was part of my early consciousness. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that says. Well, it is a super. I mean, aside from the fact that it's hilarious, it's a really like that's one of the more catchy yeah songs in the show. That's yeah. the one I find myself kind of half whistling because it's you know it's cut time and it's about ba- you're bouncing around with yeah it. it's, yeah it's a fun I, song. I i have identified with different things at different times i think mm-hmm. in my life which is you know because i'm someone who's doing this kind of career makes sense like yeah i hope i get it you know we've all yeah we've all done that been in the cattle call and um and music in the mirror like just someone like let me do what i'm supposed to be doing mm-hmm. like i know this is what i'm supposed to be doing so someone let me do it. God, you know? <laughs> God, I'm a dancer. Except you're not. I'm not a dancer. No. I can dance, but I'm not a dancer. Um, yeah, that is a good distinction. Too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Excellent mover. Yes. There you go. That's what the rest of Rhythmic moving. Um, what was the other one that I was thinking? Oh, and then at the ballet, like growing up mm-hmm. sort of as a child and starting in ballet and then moving away from it. Like there's a lot of nostalgia there for me. Mm-hmm. And then um, nothing. Having, you know, 
current ice cream cone moments in grad mm-hmm. school in a way sometimes. Yeah. My teacher's like, I didn't really feel like you had the impulse. I'm like, but I feel like I had the impulse. So. Well, who's right? The audience or the actor? Well, the audience is always right. Right. <laughs> Some serious side eye I'm getting there. Shade. We call it shade. Shade, sorry. I'm but yeah, shade. no, I, yeah, just like, well, if I'm feeling like an ice cream cone, why aren't you feeling like Then why like aren't an ice you feeling cone? that I'm feeling like, like an I ice get cream that. cone? Yeah. So do you think this show, having this in your spine, prepared you? In any way for oh, being gosh. an actor? Oh, gosh. Maybe. I mean, I feel like I um, also, like, can't remember my first rejection. Like, I feel like I've just always been being rejected. So, <laughs> <laughs> Professionally, you mean? Or just in general? Just, like, just yeah. in general rejection? Yeah. Okay. Like, I, like I don't I, – this is also a problem with my memories that I often will leave out, like, yeah, like, the traumatic experiences. Like, whereas, like, my sister's, like – and then I didn't believe in Santa Claus anymore, and I found out Santa wasn't real, and it was really traumatic. And I'm like, I feel like I just one day knew that Santa wasn't real. Mm-hmm. I have yeah, no like, that's how I, feel. I don't have like big, big like events in my. I don't. My memory doesn't work like big event that changed, and then like I was this way from then on. Hmm. I just feel like, I, maybe it was the sort of um, school that we went to where we were like, f- from the first time you know, from kindergarten, like, testing into classes and, like, trying out for dance classes Mm -hmm. that you sort of, like, got used to it really early. Mm -hmm. Because we were, I mean, my schools were, like, a creative intelligence magnet program. Okay. Which is sort of, like, out of date now. And this is, where'd you grow up? Montclair, New Jersey. Okay. But when it was, like, you know, I think probably started around the 70s. Mm -hmm. When it started was very, like, edgy. Right. New agey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we were like testing into if I was in gold, silver, or bronze gymnastics when I was in kindergarten. Okay, so there's been a lot of placement in <laughs> yeah. tiered things. Since, yeah. Also since and we were I don't small. do sports. Right. I don't think of myself as a competitive person, though most people will probably tell you that I am. <laughs> but yeah, we were. I mean, we were being like shaken out into well, it's funny levels. What, I feel it's from. funny how people interpret confidence. Not to, like, psychoanalyze tons of people. But it is the, like, I would not describe you as competitive. I would describe you as confident. And it's funny how when somebody meets a woman who is confident, you get pegged into these other things where you're just like, oh, she's competitive. Oh, she's this. Oh, she's that. It's like, no, I just, I'm just comfortable in my own skin. just communicating clearly. I know know how I feel. And I'm telling you, (laughs) I'm good at communicating how I feel. And people get... And it, but it's funny that you say that because I, I I mean it's that sort of like bossy label that of course is so terrible that we wouldn't call a little boy bossy which you call a little girl bossy right and it's it, it's right like those same things in in a in a man you'd be like oh that's he's confident he's whatever and if you mm-hmm. meet a woman who knows what she wants and says things you're just like oh she's very competitive oh she's very whatever this and I don't get that vibe from you at all I just get that you're you you know the answer to the question I'm about to ask you. <laughs> I do want to say one quick thing about the cast album um, itself being such, a, I, I think, is a great album. It, it's funny that you said that you feel like you knew the show so well, but there is very little, I don't know if there's any dialogue on this. No. Album. There's a little, Dance Then Looks 3 has a tiny line introduction. Yes. But it comes in very much halfway through 
the I sentence. also swipe my dance card once after an audition. An audition, right, yeah. But isn't the first line something like, but after a while I didn't care? Oh, but after a while I caught on. I mean, I saw what they were hiring. It's so funny. That, that, like, yeah, you're right. That's, that's where it begins, one. which but is so in the middle on. of a thought. And it's, <laughs> and it, one of the things about it is, though, that it's, the album is produced by Goddard Lieberson, who was the Broadway recording producer in the 60s and then retired sometime in the 70s, but came back to do a cast album every now and again of a show he thought was phenomenal. Like he came back, came out of retirement to do a little night music in 1973. Mm. And then he came out of retirement to do this one in 1975. And it's really, like those shows couldn't be any more different, I don't think, except in the fact that they're both great. You know, like that's the only thing they have in common. And it's funny that this show, especially like, but night music has a, a much more classical or timeless oh, yeah. composition to it. Yeah. And whereas this is, you know, the 70s in the same way like Company yes. is the 70s. Yes. And so it's interesting that he came out to do this thing. But one of his trademarks is not having any dialogue. He's a big no dialogue yeah. guy. And it's it's really interesting that like you feel like you have the show whereas you don't. You just right. have the music. But that was enough right. to give you, yeah, everything you needed to have. Because it is a vignette show. Especially that. since that. And then, yeah, I mean, Company, you forget, has scenes too. Yeah, there's a lot of talk. I mean, TikTok has a whole talking section, yeah. and yeah, there's lines here and there. Not a lot, but just a little to give you, catch you in and out of, yeah. of music and stuff. Of course, the biggest moment in this show, one of the biggest, I shouldn't say the biggest, but one of the big moments in the show isn't a song, because the character of yeah. Paul, right. who was who Sammy Williams played and won a Tony Award for in the original production, doesn't have a song. He no, has and a that monologue. is missing, I feel, from the, that's like a big part, I think, of what, the heart of the show mm-hmm. that is missing from the album is that what moment you get or moments like that yeah like his i mean specifically his mm-hmm. the, some of the yeah some yeah of the... it's so on you they apparently kept trying to write a song for that moment and it just never worked as well as the monologue and it is yeah. a really well-written sad yeah. but beautiful uh monologue and it, it and also i found out just in doing research for today that i can do that is actually Sammy Williams in real life, his story. Ah. He didn't get to sing the song. Wayne Clienter sings the song, but that is his story, is that his sister wouldn't go to dance class, so he (laughs) took over for her and ran down and just started doing it. And, yeah, it's a... It's a deeply personal song, but he doesn't get a song. But he did get a Tony Award. So, so I guess you know, that's, consolation you know. prize. Nobody has the big songs actually gets the... I mean, I guess Ka- uh, Donna McKechnie did win a Tony for Best Lead Actress. Supporting actor was Sammy Williams. And the supporting actress, though, was Kelly Bishop, who plays Sheila, yeah. who does have good song moments, but doesn't have a solo, whereas Priscilla Lopez, who sings both Nothing and What I Did for yeah. Love, who everybody thought was going to win... Didn't. And she was nominated, yeah. She was nominated, yeah. but she lost. I mean, she lost to. to I know Kelly that Bishop. is kind of a surprise. It is an interesting bit that they're the, the, for a musical. Two people who had a lot more acting or text things to do yeah. were the ones who won the Tonys that year. That is an interesting. But we didn't know. see it. We didn't see it. I mean, Kelly Bishop is yeah astonishing and a goddess, and she can. She. I'm glad she has a Tony Award. Which she won the same year for Gilmore Girls fans. She and Edward Herman won their Tony Awards in the same year. Uh, he won for Mrs. Warren's <laughs> Profession that same year. So. Fun fact. And that then is a fun fact. 24 years later, they did a TV show together. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah. So feralparker.com, you said, right? That's my website. That's your I mean, website? Don't go to it. Well, why do you have a website if you I don't want people know. to go to it? I you... built it at also at while well, I was studying at American it University. It all comes back to American University <laughs> in one way or another. All of your digital training. As it should. You do have a certificate, as it's you a, said. It's a certificate, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, hey, whatever. <laughs> you got it. You yeah, used yeah. it. That's my you website. It. Sometimes I update it. 
But mostly I'm just in grad school right and, now. And uh, You Are Whatever I Can Get cast album is in mix right now, right? It's being mixed? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. being mixed down and mastered. Nice. And um, March. Oh, cool. That's pretty soon. Is the plan. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll definitely. I'm really excited. I can't wait to hear it. It feels like I so love what I've ago. heard when you sent me some tracks, and I love what I've heard. So I'm Thanks. really excited for everything. I was else really happy with it. My mom was like, "This sounds professional." I was like, "I don't know if you know this, mom, <laughs> but I'm actually fun a fact. professional." Yeah, fun, fun fact. <laughs> well, you know, people are like, you, "So you're trying to be an actress?" I'm like, "Sure." Sure. No, I'm luckily my family doesn't say she's trying to be an actress. Yeah. But people will, you know. Oh yeah, because what does that mean, though? Like, what does it mean trying to be yeah. an actress? What does it mean to be an actress? These and other questions will not be answered on this episode of The Original Cast. (laughs) (laughs) The Original Cast was recorded at the Media Production Center at American University. Special thanks to Jeffrey Madison, Tom Fish, Imani Mular, and the tireless staff of students who run the front desk. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at Original Cast Pod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at Unknown Penguin. You can email us at OriginalCastPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to The Original Cast on iTunes, and while you're there, please give us a comment and a rating so other people can find the show. My thanks to Farrell Parker for coming down and talking to me today. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. I've got you to lean on. We've got you.